1: All right, so Arizona and Calgary about to face off. Just two NHL games tonight. The other one is tied 1-1 late in the second period. Rangers and Blue Jackets, Dubinsky and Girardi, the goal scorers. Blue Jackets forward Scott Hartnell has left left that game with a lower body injury. Your scoreboard for Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, you can visit crystalglass.ca. Playoff chase here for the Oilers in the uh, American Hockey League. A playoff chase for the former head coach of the Oil Kings, Derek Laxtall, now in his third season with the Texas Stars. Derek, great to catch up with you. How are you doing? Not too bad. Reed, how are you today? I'm doing well, and I figured you'd be doing okay because uh, last time we we talked briefly off-air, you'd lost five in a row, but now the streak column says W3. So (laughs) things are better, eh? yeah
2: times are good right now we uh we went through a little bit of a lull there and uh, we made a trade last uh week and a half a goal that uh that we addressed the need that we needed and uh that's really sparked our hockey club and you know put us in the right direction so now we can make a playoff run but uh yeah it's been uh it's been a good last week and a half
1: now is that is i, I justin Peters in goal is that the guy who's who's come in and was able to shore things up a bit?
2: Yeah, we actually traded for Justin Peters, who played for Carolina and a little bit of Arizona this year. He's in Tucson, a veteran goalie, and a couple of Western Hockey League products. I think uh, Aiden Hill and Langhammer, uh, both goalies, played in Portland and uh, Manhattan, or were taking over the goaltending duties in uh, Tucson, Arizona's farm team. And Doug Sotar, who used to be the general manager of the Everett Silvertips, we actually uh, did a trade with him. We traded two local uh, Edmonton products. Uh, uh, Brandon Truk and uh, Brendan Ranford uh, went that way. And then we picked up a defenseman who played uh, for uh Justin Hache, who played against us in the Memorial Cup with the Oak Kings in, I think it was in 2012, and, uh, and the goaltender, Justin Pierce. So it's kind of had a lot of a WHL flair or flavor to the uh, the trade.
1: How how deep is the goaltending in the in the AHL, because, I mean, one of your old goalies, Laurent Francois is now up with the Oilers, and he's trying to, to stick in the NHL. I mean, are there a lot of guys who are between the the 50th and 80th best goaltender in pro hockey and the top 10 are in the NHL and the other 20 are in the AHL, or how does it sort of pan out?
2: Well, it's you know what, it's a tough position. It's the old saying, if you don't have goaltending, it's hard to win. Um, obviously, take like a quarterback in, in football and a pitcher in baseball. If you, you, know, if you don't have that key position, uh, it's going to be a struggle every night. And we've gone through that for probably the last year and a half, two and a half years uh, with the uh, Texas Stars here. And we've got a goaltender now that can, you know, can solidify a little bit and give us a chance to win every night and take a little bit of that pressure off uh, your team. And, and, you know, in the American Hockey League, your are number one, your top 10 your top 20 goaltenders. Uh, there's still a huge climb for them to get to the National Hockey League and to play at that level. And you look at a young, uh, goaltender like Laurent Persuad, he's, uh, he was a, I think he was in the top 20 in the goaltending in the American Hockey League. And, you know, he's still finding his way and trying to get that experience at the National Hockey League level. And just, you know, same thing for a defenseman forward. It takes time to, to get that experience. It takes time to get that maturity level. And, uh, you know, you're seeing it more than ever this year in the National Hockey League. If you don't have goaltending, she's tough to win every night.
1: Derek Laxtall joining us on Inside Sports, former Oil Kings coach, now the head coach of the Texas Stars in the American Hockey League. Uh, you're in your third season there with, uh, with Texas in, uh, in Cedar Park, Texas. That's the name of the city?
2: Yeah, it is. It's, we're about uh, 20 miles north of Austin. And you don't realize how big Austin is. Austin has a population, I think, of 2.5 million people. And the surrounding areas of uh, Round Rock, Georgetown, Cedar Park, are growing astronomically. There's, uh, they say, there's over 150 people moving to the area every day from the East and West Coast and from all over the states.
1: Oh wow! Okay, so it's it's clipping along then, pretty good. Uh, now, are you guys in that situation where you're going to play fewer games than everybody else, and you're going to get in on your points percentage, or how is it working for the playoffs this year? Well, in
2: our in our conference, it's points percentage with the West Coast and LCS in our Central Conference. Um, now, our division, we, there's only two, two of the eight teams in our division play 76 games, and that's us and San Antonio. Oh, okay. All the other teams like Bakersfield, Tucson, the West Coast teams are all playing 68. And that's all based on when the NHL teams wanted to move their farm teams out west. They wanted more development time, more downtime, less games. And uh, uh, we've been through this our second year now, and I feel as a coach uh, there is an unfair advantage for the West Coast teams Uh, more practice time because when you have to like we're coming up on a stretch here next week we're playing eight games in 14 nights and on the back end of that six game road trip every team that we play is sitting there waiting for us for four days and we're coming in playing every second night so uh yeah it's great our players like to play games but you know you lose that structure and you lose that practice time so it's a little unfair but hopefully in the future that the uh, i think it'll balance out we'll get to 70 games both ways or 72 and and then it'll help balance out the uh, the whole American Hockey
1: League. I'm curious because I mean the Oilers have talked about not having a lot of, a lot of practice time recently. They had their All Star Week and their bye week. For you as a coach, what's the ideal number of times in a week to have sort of a detailed, let's you know have an energetic practice and really focus on? I mean, would you would you like to have that four times a week, twice a week, or how do you look at that?
2: Well, you know what? That's a great question. We, we are just going through a period right now where they're playing Friday, Saturday for two weeks in a row. So we've got Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday off before we play. And we find ourselves giving the kids uh, Sunday off, and then we'll give them Monday off for the workout, and then we'll have three days of practice. And I think or I feel as a coach or my own personal liking is I don't want to have any more uh, blocks where you have uh, four days of practice. I'd like to have two for sure. If you can get three, you can get some conditioning in. And then uh, you can obviously, uh, you know, build on your structure and build on the way your team plays and get prepared for Well, you can prepare for the way you want to play. You played the last weekend, and you can prepare for the opponent coming up the next weekend. so two is great. Three is awesome. I would say four is too much.
1: Okay, interesting stuff. Uh, Derek, i got to ask you because there was a story a couple weeks ago. Two of your former players got traded for each other. Mitch Moraz for Henrik Sandelson. Did you kind of do a double take when you saw that trade between the Oilers and Arizona?
2: Well, I did. You know what? They got traded uh, three hours after we made the trade with Arizona. Um, So I was quite interested to see the trade. Um, You know, from what I see from my standpoint, you've got two players that are on the last year of their entry level contract. Uh, Things probably haven't gone the way they would have liked to have gone. Uh, Both players have gone through some injuries. I think sometimes it's, it's refreshing to get a change with a different organization. Now the pressure's on them a little bit. They've got to perform. They're trying to play for another contract next year. And uh, sometimes both organizations make out well in those situations. Same thing for us. We traded Brendan Trook for a defenseman from Arizona who earned the last part of their entry-level contract. But I was I was really interested because I know uh, Saint, uh, Hank uh, Hendrick-Salison had a real good first year in the American Hockey I believe he put up 45 points he had a great playoff and then i know he's gone through a, a couple minor injuries i think he had some surgery on a foot um but i think he's struggling to get back to uh you know finding that that playing uh confidence and into that, that same kind of zone and then for mitch i know mitch has kind of been in and out and uh so i saw mitch this weekend after the game and uh, he was really excited and he's talked to henrik and henrik's really excited so I think it was a great move for both players and both organizations.
1: All right, and before I let you go, i, I got to take you down memory because the uh, Oil Kings have their hockey hooky game at 11.30 in the morning on Wednesday with all the school kids coming to that one. Uh, <laughs> what was it like coaching? in that? I mean, was it hard to, to coach around a game that was 11.30 in the morning when usually guys might be practicing or in school? Or what are your summer, some of your memories and challenges of that one?
2: Well, I think the biggest challenge for us was um, – just getting the players to wake up and get ready for that. Uh, they're not used to getting up and practicing at 10 o'clock in the morning. Most times, I, they, yeah, we'd have them come in for a check-in or do a workout in the mornings. But getting there to the rink at 8.30 and getting ready to play for 11 o'clock, they're still a little bit of a sleep. But I usually found those games, the first period would be a little bit sleepy, then the second period and third period would really crank it up. But I'll tell you one thing. When you have, I think, I'm not sure how many fans will have, but if you have seven or 8,000 screaming kids in the building, that uh, high-pitched voice will wake you up pretty quick, and from what I understand, they've they've usually been pretty entertaining games. And you know, it's one of those games where you, uh, if you end up losing, you're kind of kicked off, you lost. But you know, when you win those games, you think, oh, thank God we got through this and we got the two points. But uh, you know what? I think it's a great way to grow the sport in any in any league. I think it's a great way to introduce the young kids to the to sport and and the excitement of being at an Oil King game, and you only grow the fan base that you have there.
1: Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. That's always a fun one to follow. Hey, Derek, it's always great to catch up with you. Thanks for updating us on what's going on with the Texas Stars. I know a lot of people in Edmonton still follow your career and your team because of all the hard work you did with the Oil Kings, and I I hope we can do this again. How about this? In the playoffs. All right? Sound good?
2: Well, I appreciate that, Reed. We're battling the way right now, and one of the teams that we're battling head-to-head is Bakersfield, and, and uh, right now they're below us, so it's going to be uh, a good push to the playoffs, and we're looking forward to it.
1: Thanks a lot, Derek. Derek Lackstall, head coach of the Texas Stars, his third season there in the American Hockey League. Not a uh, huge fan of the schedule format. Yeah, they, they don't all play the same number of teams. The Bakersfield Condors, the Oilers Farm team play fewer games than other teams in the same division and the same conference, and then they use points percentage to help them get to, to, to decide who gets into the playoffs. I thought that was interesting how he would like to uh, run his ideal practice schedule. Certainly head coach Todd McClellan has not been happy with the Oilers' lack of practice time recently. Okay, it's 7:16. Calgary and Arizona are underway. No score three minutes in. Big day tomorrow for your Edmonton Eskimos. It is free agency. Could John Ojo be gone? Could the Anthony Batiste be gone? But who could be coming in? Dave Campbell will have those answers when we get back. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins
2: on Oilers Radio, 630
1: Chad. All right, all right, Letestu and the Oilers tomorrow home to Arizona. It's on Chet. face-off show. The game will start at 7. You can get the latest on the Oilers on 630Ched.com. They will be wearing pride tape in the warm-ups. That's a great initiative that started uh, right here in... Edmonton, It's uh, you-can-play night. Part of hockey is for ed- every one month in the NHL. So that's pretty cool. The Oilers are part of that. We'll see if Benoit Pouliot is going to be able to go. He did not practice today. He crashed into the boards on Sunday. All right. Also, keep it tuned to 6.30 Ched tomorrow and our website for the latest on CFL Free Agency. And with a look ahead to that, it's Eskimos analyst Dave Campbell. Dave, thanks for sticking around. How are you doing? Really well, Reed. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm looking forward to CFL Free Agency tomorrow, it's always a uh, it's one of those days where I, I always say you can win or lose games in the off season. Tomorrow's <laughs> tomorrow's a day that'll go a, a long way towards that. Look, the, the Eskimos obviously have some guys that they have not locked up that look like they're going to test free agency, Who's who are a couple
3: bigger names here that, that fans might say, uh, oh no, that guy might not be back. Oh no, Ojo's not signed yet. Right? John Ojo's got to be at the top of that list for sure, and I mean at this time of year, the Eskimos under General Manager Ed Hervey are very, very quiet. You know, that's it. The only thing we have heard about anybody from the Eskimos about free agencies Jason Moss last week who said you know they have their, they have their list they, they're they ready to go they know it can change blah 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 but John Ojo's at the top of the list we don't know how he's recovered off of that ruptured Achilles suffered last training camp but if he's healthy you gotta think he is the number one target for sure uh, DeAnthony Batiste isn't signed and I think he's played and you and I would agree that he's played pretty well at right tackle since he's uh, stepped in uh, to that position but he is unsigned at this point so you know I would put those two right at the top of the list Uh, if I'm going to ask for you know I'm going to give a third name which I will Philip Hunt came in and played really well around Labor Day or the Labor Day rematch but uh, I would put Ojo and Batiste at the top of the list
1: well it looks like Batiste is going to test free agency I mean he's he's in Edmonton mm-hmm. because I see him working out at the at the rec center so uh <laughs> so they, they, he's certainly there if they would have wanted to talk to him and, and already extend him Ojo obviously they missed him mm-hmm. in the secondary and maybe that proved his value more than even of how well he played the, the, the previous seasons were basically the last I mean the last two-thirds of 2015 teams basically didn't throw
3: in his direction you're right you're right, and that's very rare for a fieldside corner because he's sitting out there on the wide side and they don't get a lot of action. Well, it was even worse this time. And he even got six interceptions, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, that year as well. Returned one for a touchdown. So uh, John Ojo, big plans in 2016. Unfortunately, got hurt in training camp. Okay, well, that'll be,
1: we got to be watching him for sure. All right, so th- there's tons of names out there. Now, some guys were locked up over the last few days. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Terrence Tolliver, one guy out of Hamilton that I thought was a really good receiver. He, he wound up getting signed already. So what what? Give me a couple guys that maybe could be of interest to the Eskimos in terms of obviously they being good players, but also maybe filling
3: some holes for the green and gold. Well, we're going to stay in the in the in the defensive secondary, and I look at their corner positions. Uh, Pat Watkins. I would say it's doubtful he'll be back. We don't know about Ojo. Um, if Ojo comes back, then obviously they have probably another you know, a need for another corner. There's some attractive corners out there. A.J. Jefferson out of the Toronto Argos. Um, I also look at Ronnie Yell out of the B.C. Lions. And I also look at Javon Johnson, who played with the Montreal Alouettes last year. So I think those three, one of those three, could definitely fill the void. I don't think you can get all three of them. I think one of them would do just fine. And the thing with defensive backs from the American, you know, from a American perspective as far as defensive back goes you don't have to spend a lot of money on these type of players it's been reported over the last few days that the Eskimos have asked certain players to take some pay cuts and that's to free up some money, and they've spent a lot of money already, mm-hmm. so that could be allocated to spend in other areas and I think in you know the corner position definitely that is an area that they have to look at. Um, other areas you look at that offensive tackle position they do have Joel Figueroa that they could have a, as a bookend for Tony Washington but you need some depth there. I mean Derek Dennis jumps off the page because he's the reigning O-lineman of the year, or most outstanding lineman in the CFL now that does command some dollars right? Now a lot of teams, have spent money already on free agents, so the money tree might be getting a little thin mm-hmm. <laughs> looking a little paltry uh, the Eskimos always make sure they have enough money around to, to use accordingly so it's possible that you know a Derek Dennis is available but then after that you're looking at maybe a Greg Van Roten out of the Toronto Argos who can play all five positions uh, but namely tackle uh, and then after that it's 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 pretty thin unless you're you know thinking of Thaddeus Coleman who has had a couple stints in Edmonton already right uh, they do have possibly a need at the uh, defensive tackle spot from a Canadian perspective. Jabbar Westerman's available. I look at Michael Clausen out of the Montreal Alouettes used to be a product of the University of Calgary Dinos. Not much there for kick returners. Uh, punters, interesting. Uh, I have heard some scuttlebutt about Grant Shaw not being back and the Eskimos choosing it, uh, to go with an American punter on the cheap There's a couple in free agency And Brett Maher played for the Ticats last year About a 45-46 yard punt average And Anthony Farah who stepped in When Boris Beattie was having his right. trouble with the Alouettes He's got about a 46.5 yard average So, uh, Or they bring in a, a, a complete unknown So I think the Eskimos will be active Someone asked me on Twitter today how many players you think they'll sign in total I think they'll two to four is probably What, what uh, they'll okay. sign
1: Just quickly here, yes, no Are they going to sign a receiver? No Will James Franklin be an Eskimo to start a training camp? Yes, he will. Okay, still every day, get asked, is he going to be traded? <laughs> wow, you too? <laughs> Dave, thanks for sticking around. going to be fun tomorrow, man. Yeah, have fun. going to be great. All right, that's Dave Campbell. He and Morley Scott will be covering CFL Free Agency tomorrow. That is interesting with John Ojo because... He was outstanding in his first season with the Eskimos in 2015. As Dave and I referenced, as as the season went on, really they didn't throw to him a lot, the opposition, because they just thought this guy's going to defend it or pick it off. And then he gets hurt. In the preseason last year, Aaron Grimes has gone to the NFL. And to me, the secondary was the biggest weakness the Eskimos had. And yes, it did improve. I thought Herbie adding Brandon Thompson was a very astute move, which helped. But there were a lot of times throughout the season where they needed to stop a pass and they couldn't do it. And the East final was a great example. They were coming back. They had Ottawa second and 17, chance to get the ball back with time to win the game. Ottawa converts and uh, went down and scored the touchdown that put it away. So looking at the secondary, I think, is a big, big storyline for the Eskimos tomorrow. I do not anticipate offensive lineman De'Anthony Batiste to be back with the green and gold though i think that's pretty much a slam dunk 727 arizona's gone up one nothing on calgary well this is going to be cool we have two members of the eskimos cheer team in studio sam and ellen and they're going to tell their story and uh, also an interesting angle to this as well we're going to talk about cheerleading as a possible olympic sport when we get back
2: This is Oscar Kleff from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to the Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Shad.
1: All right, thanks for tuning in. It is 733 Inside Sports. Reed Wilkins, Warren Mulvey working on the other side of the window tonight. And, uh, man, we're going to have some fun in the next half hour because we have two very special guests in studio, two young ladies who have spent the last uh, five and four and two ninth seasons. As members of the Edmonton Eskimos cheer team And we have a lot to talk about First I want to welcome Sam to the show Hi Sam Hi, how's
4: it going?
1: Good, and Ellen is here as well Hi Ellen Hello Alright, you guys just move a little closer to the mics Because you're so polite You're not you're speaking <laughs> you loudly like uh, like I do Alright, well uh, this, this is great First of all, thanks for coming There's there's a lot to talk about I've never done a, uh, a, a cheer leading, cheer team type segment mm-hmm. before So I think I'm going to learn a lot here And I hope most of our listeners do as well Sam, I'll start with you what got you into into cheerleading to begin with?
4: Uh, Well, I started cheerleading almost 13 years ago now, and it was actually both of my older siblings were cheerleaders at Victoria School, and I was still a gymnast at the time and had absolutely no desire to become a cheerleader. And my older sister is the one who forcibly dragged me into the gym for tryouts and forced me to do it, and I made the team, and a week later at first tryout, or first practice, rather, I was hooked, and I I just knew that it was something I was going to stick with for a really long time.
1: I'm glad you ended by saying you were hooked because the (laughs) first 90%... (laughs) of that sounded like a horrible story and I hated your sister
4: yeah well you know she she knew that I was going to enjoy it ultimately and she was right I mean I ended up on the same team as my brother and we like I said one one practice was all it took and I just loved it and I loved everything about it and I've stuck with it for 13 years so
1: right, Ellen what about you
0: well I started in grade 7 as well, and I actually cheered at Vic with Sam. But um, my story kind of takes back to grade 1, and it was at my first pep rally at Victoria School, and I saw this cheer team, and I was blown away because I had dancing, stunting, there's people flying in the air, and I was like, this is amazing. So grade 7 came around, and there was tryouts, and sure enough, I got myself in the tryouts and made the team, and then, like Sam said, I was just hooked right from the get-go, and I, um, her sister actually coached us too, so which was awesome. So Sam, what hooked you about it?
4: Uh, Well, I had done all sorts of other sports leading up into it. Uh, Like I said, I was a gymnast, I did competitive swimming, I was a downhill ski racer, I did all sorts of other things. Um, I played soccer and then cheerleading was just so team oriented and I knew that you needed to rely on every single person there in order for it to be successful and there was so much to learn. It was something that was so challenging. Every day I was learning something new and pushing myself to, to just become a better athlete and it was just
0: unlike anything that I had done before.
1: Ellen, is that what got kept you going too?
0: Yeah, it's very similar because it's um, at Victoria School. We had a very family-oriented uh, cheer team, so you rely on those people like you would your family. They're my brothers, my sisters, and it was a great atmosphere to be brought up in.
1: All right. Did, now, did you when you just were deciding to get into it? You know, you're. Well, I mean, I guess uh, Ellen, you were a little mm-hmm. younger than a teen, but yep. when you really got hooked, but but. You know, I think there are some people who would look at at cheerleading and say, you know, we don't need it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, it objectifies, you know, women. And you know it's all about the skimpy outfits, mm-hmm. and it's because they can't do anything else or what. I mean, did you ever face any of that? Did those things ever occur to you, or do you try to dispel that? I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm just curious if that factored in the the stereotypes factored in at all.
0: I I don't really think so, honestly. I think the athleticism of the sport is what has really kept me in it because it's so challenging. I know every day I come to practice and I'm always challenged physically and. Um, yeah I wouldn't say I was ever caught up into stereotypes just maybe because I was just
1: but right. do you face them from other people sometimes when they when you would say that's what you were into?
4: I think definitely that was a that was an issue sometimes. I know a lot of my friends while I was growing up were like, well cheerleading doesn't count as a sport, and it was a <laughs> constant argument mm-hmm. of um us just trying to convince them that it was something that was going to be That's challenging. Yeah, that was challenging, yeah. and they eventually would cave and admit that it was um, athletic, but mm-hmm. it was whether or not it was a sport. It so was it's just like yeah. they're wrestling in exactly. their Yeah,
1: it's yes. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. athletic, but it's, yeah. but okay, it's not a sport. So let me ask you this, because this is going to segue into one, one of our topics. Because there is, it, it's possible right now. but It's not for sure, but but it could be added as an Olympic sport yes. someday d- down the road. Maybe yes. soon, may, maybe later. Why is Cheerleading, a, a sport.
4: Well, like I said, I mean the athletic um, element of it. Mm-hmm. It requires um, so much training to go into it. You mm-hmm. need to have so much um, physical strength and fitness. Um, there's, it's not just girls wearing skimpy outfits. There's so many different types of athletes that you need on the team. Um, I have cheered co-ed for the last couple years. Obviously, we have those big, strong guys throwing us thirty feet in the air so that mm-hmm. we can do all of those flips and cool things mm-hmm. that you guys always find so entertaining. Um, and I think it's just, that's one of the things that makes it stand out from other sports that we see. And um, I just think that it's unlike any other sport when it comes to the team aspect of it. Like I said, you need every single person on that floor for it to be a successful routine. You can't just have one person fail because then everyone fails. Mm-hmm. So.
1: so Ellen, tell me yeah. what happens at a cheerleading competition because I know, mm-hmm. uh, and I know what people are going to say. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people don't like judge sports, right? That's yeah. why figure skating gets gets crapped up. So what happens at a cheerleading competition, and how does one group prove they're better than the other?
0: Well, so judges, they judge you on your technique, the composition of the routine. So does it flow well? Does it appeal to the audience? Um, they also judge your performance, so are you an easy team to watch um, and it really comes down to like can you actually hit the stunts can you actually execute the proper technique and the skill level to be able to and then it's also yeah. similar in the same sense
4: of diving mm-hmm. or gymnastics a certain skills
0: will get you certain
1: points, points yeah and then so you try the, to do more difficult yeah. mm-hmm. the scale yeah. the,
4: the, the, higher the higher the points, points and yeah. then you also get deductions for failing to execute a skill properly mm-hmm. so so if there's if, a fall If there's a fall or even an athlete touchdown. bobble, somebody touches down in a tumbling pass mm-hmm. anything like that you get deductions from your overall
1: scoring. So. Now, both of you have been on Team Canada yes, for, for cheerleading. Yeah. Yes. No, but on different teams. How yeah. does that work, Ellen? Who were you with?
0: I was with the all-girl team, so it's 24 women
1: cheering. Okay.
4: Yeah, and then and then I was with the co-ed team. So 24.
1: okay. <laughs> no, maybe I'm no, maybe I'm guilty of a stereotype here, but I see what happens with the Eskimos cheer team when you guys perform yes. during the the stoppages in play, mm-hmm. and. You're big on the ap- acrobatics yes. and the throw, th- th- and and S- Sam, you get thrown in the air. Yes, I'm mm-hmm. a flyer. So will there be a flyer? Sorry, now <laughs> I know the truth. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> yeah. will, will will you be when you're in the competition? Will there be more? flyers, I guess, in in the co-ed, because the men are doing a lot of the throwing, um, or how does it work?
4: It depends on the number of athletes mm-hmm. that you have on the floor, so typically it's 24 athletes, and then so for an all-girl team, you can have a Five six, to six. Six, six stunt, stunt group, groups. so you have three okay girl bases mm-hmm. basing their flyer. One flyer and then for co-ed you have the two male bases basing their one flyer and that's just for legality reasons you need to have a certain number of people Splendid. underneath the stunt for,
1: mm-hmm. for, for oh, safety, for safety yeah. and all that kind of yeah. stuff yeah. okay so did canada do well in these competitions you were at how, how does canada rate on the international <laughs> cheerleading stage
4: well a couple of years ago they were in um the level five division which will make no sense to you whatsoever but it's uh <laughs> For all-star cheerleading, it's levels one through six, and it gets more difficult the higher the level. Yep. And when they were competing with the level five division, they were first place for, for quite, a few quite a few years, years in a row. They were in very, both divisions, In two, both divisions. yes, yeah, in an all-girl and co-ed. Um, but then the years that Ellen and I were on the team, we they upped us up to level six. So we were entering level six and really trying to get a foothold into that program. And, okay. Um,
1: so you're tiered then based on your... Yes. Okay, on your um, performance.
4: And so my two years, I think we placed fifth and then fourth. Mm-hmm the two years that I was on the team, so we were so close, and it was just, like I said, one mistake. It's, That's all yeah. it took was to knock us off the podium. there are like so, tenths
0: of points that yeah. separate first through fourth like, you could be point 0.2 away from first place and being third.
1: Do you watch the other countries' routines? Oh, yeah. Doesn't that make yep. you nervous, though? Like, what if someone's really good and you're like, well, we're not that good?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of them are
4: posted online before you even get to world so you know kind of what you're getting, getting into. into yeah. Or just based on the expectations from how what they represented the year before. I mm-hmm. mean, the Team USA is phenomenal. Very um, incredible. Bangkok has an incredible co year team that is just some of the things they do just defy physics. Yeah. And it's <laughs> mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah, they're incredible athletes there. So, yeah, there's yeah. a little bit of nerves involved, but mostly, I mean, you come as prepared as you can mm-hmm. and you just hope that what you can put on the floor is going to be good enough.
1: So. Now, how did, how did you make Team Canada? How did you get noticed? Was it in high school? Was it was when you were with the Eskimos? What happened?
0: We actually send in um, video auditions. So they send out a list of... Uh, things that you need to do, so a certain amount of stunts, certain tumbling, and then you send in a video, and that's it's a uh, judged that way. So, so basically, they just send out a list of requirements,
4: yeah, and you see whether s- you can meet them, and you submit your video along so with a little So you did solo stuff then? Uh, yes, yeah. and then with your stunt group. So yeah, I tried okay. out with like my base partner, yeah. and we did it for the two years. We yeah. had submitted a video together, and she had to try it with us. Three stunt group. other girls, and we
1: send ours in. Wow. Yep. Okay. And what about uh, Sam and Ellen in studio? They're members of the Mtns Most Cheer Team. So, Ellen, is you've been on for five seasons.
0: Five
1: seasons, yep. And Sam, I was joking, you've been on for four and two nights, because <laughs> yeah. you missed the majority of the 2015 season? Just uh, 2014, 2014 season. 2014 season, but yes. you were back for 15 when they won the Great Cup. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So you were the really the what put it, forget Chris Jones, it was you <laughs> that put them over yeah. the top. Uh, so... So how did you become members of the Eskimos cheer team? Was this another tryout? where you recruited? Ellen, what happened?
0: It was another tryout. So after I graduated from high school, um, i had always been interested in tryout for the Eskimos cheer team because it's a dream as a dancer to perform in front of 40,000 people. So yeah, separate tryouts. I auditioned in 2012 and I made it all the way through and the rest is history <laughs> uh, same story
4: basically i mean we like we said we both cheered at victoria school so we had diane Grino, who who's the head coach of the eskimos as our coach throughout mm-hmm. that time and then uh it took a couple years for me after high school to get enough courage i guess to try <laughs> to out for try the it. eskimos but i tried out 2012 same season it was a big year it was the 100th gray cup so it was a mm-hmm. a big tryout but i somehow made it through i'm still a little surprised that i did but it was it was incredible and it was i mean five years later it's yeah been one of the best cheer experiences that I've had well
1: so you, you both have committed to this for, for a long time which which is pretty incredible now when it, so was Vic known for you gotta help me out here was Vic known for its cheerleading
0: I would say so yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. so would you compete against other what Edmonton high schools Alberta high schools or what
0: mainly um, Edmonton and then until we got to provincials we would get we would compete against other people from the province
1: okay
4: yeah and then one of the other things that Vic always offered us was travel opportunities so Mm -hmm. we got to compete internationally against some of the other teams so I know I went to Mexico and Australia and Florida for my three years of high school and got to compete against teams there Mm -hmm. as well so
1: well see this is so much more vast than I ever (laughs) could uh, could have imagined no no when you did was we were you always doing uh were you always doing football games at Vic were you always just performing in competitions or what was the deal
4: It was always just competitions <laughs> yes, It was always just yeah. so yeah. so
1: the Vic sports teams did not actually get to have the cheer team cheering them at games
0: No, no we, I I got to admit yeah. I find that ironic <laughs> No we actually never had that opportunity <laughs> until we started the Eskimos to to, cheer at a football game. So we were strictly just um, practicing for competitions and for provincials. And then, like she said, we went and traveled as well and competed there.
1: All right. Uh, Sam and Ellen from the Eskimos cheer team joining us. How interested are
0: you in football? I love it. I love it, yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah, It was something that it took, I, I always had an interest in it, but I didn't really understand much of it until I was on the sidelines, and mm-hmm. uh, that first season, we were very focused on just making sure that we knew what we were doing, so we didn't get to watch much of the game, but over the past couple of years, I mean, most of the time I spend the games being completely invested in what's going mm-hmm. on in the field, that I sometimes lose track of what I'm supposed to be doing, because <laughs> I'm yeah. so excited by what the Eskimos yeah. are putting out there, so, yeah. huge CFL fan.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So well, that well, that's cool that you're paying attention to. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, well, I think some people would wonder that, right? Yeah. Are you just in, in it because you want to do the p- p- performance, or are you actually interested in how the team is, is performing? So, but you got more drawn into it, though. Oh yes, by the,
0: definitely. By last season, I was m- almost more interested in watching the game and seeing how they're doing as a team, and I'm like, oh, cheer. <laughs>
1: okay. so, so what what is the time commitment and the rehearsal commitment like to be on the Eskimos cheer team?
0: It's very heavy in the summer and the spring training for us because that's when we're learning all of our um, game day day materials. So you're practicing every weekend, every Monday, um, right up until you get to the games. And then from there, you're practicing once before a game. Then it gets very heavy again in the fall when we're getting ready for Grey Cup because we put together our our chair strafaganza routine, which is about a a five-and-a-half-minute routine. So that takes quite a bit more practice time, too.
1: And is it... This is totally volunteer to be on the Eskimo journey? Yes, yes, yes it, is. it is. So this is all on your own time? Yeah. So hours at night after you're going mm-hmm. to... You guys were both students and mm-hmm. so now you're both working? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So... <laughs> Sam apparently not, but that's okay. No, I am working, but <laughs> I'm also a student, you're so, a student so it's kind you're kind of- you're <laughs> even, even even busier. All right, well, stick. Can you guys stick around till eight? Because I have more more questions for yeah. you. Because yeah, I sure, find absolutely. this this fascinating. Yeah. Sam and Eleanor in studio from the Edmonton Eskimos cheer team will update the NHL scores as well. You're listening to Inside Sports on 6:30, Chat. This is Matt Hendricks from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chat. The Coyotes lead the Flames 1-0 after the first period. The Rangers lead the Blue Jackets 2-1 in the third. Those are the only two NHL games tonight. Also keeping an eye on something we don't usually talk about a lot on this show, NCAA women's basketball University of Connecticut, led by Kia Nurse, Darnell's sister, going for their 100th straight win against South Carolina. South Carolina leads 27-26 with three minutes left in the second quarter. They have not lost since March of 2013. That's fascinating. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on Ched in studio with Sam and Ellen. They're members of the Eskimos cheer team. I I have to ask, and Ellen, not to leave you out, But I feel like this is more of a, a Sam question. Okay. <laughs> because, Sam, you said you are a flyer.
0: Yes,
4: I am.
1: So you get thrown in the air. Yes. That's my description of it. There's probably more technical terms. You're a flyer. How dangerous is that? Have you ever been dropped or landed funny or injured in any way because of being a flyer?
4: Um, honestly, I can't say that I have. I mean, with the guys that throw me in the air, yeah, that goes pretty high, but they're trained from a very from very early on that my safety is their number one priority so often they sacrifice whatever parts of them Mm -hmm. that they need to in order to make sure that I'm safe Mm -hmm. so um, yeah there have been some wonky catches but I I always get caught safely I haven't I mean I'm still around I'm still cheerleading (laughs) so obviously nothing too serious has happened and I mean, the cu- the first couple times learning a new skill, it can be a little intimidating, getting thrown 30 feet in the air and trying but to But you're actually going is... 30
1: feet in the air. Mm-hmm. Is that, are you exaggerating or is that accurate? I think it's
4: somewhere between 20 and 30 feet. It's it's pretty high. So yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> like I said, the first couple times it can be definitely scary, especially trying to learn a new skill. I mean, rotating, twisting um, takes a lot of body coordination and a lot of trust for those guys mm-hmm. that are underneath me, but they're they're trained that my safety is their number one priority. So I And there's
1: usually, what, four of them catching you?
4: Three or four, yep. Yeah.
1: Three or four? Okay. Uh, Ellen, what about you? Have you stayed fairly... I mean, I, I didn't want—I don't want to downplay, but yeah, okay. you're, <laughs> you're not 30 feet in the air, but you're no. still doing very difficult yeah. athletic stuff. Have you ever you know, had anything happen to you?
0: No, not dancing-wise. I mean, I'm also on an all-star team where I am at base, so I would be the person throwing Sam. And, I mean, like she was saying, like I've always been taught from the, right from the get-go that that's someone's life in the air, and you do what you have to to keep those people safe. So...
1: All right. No, wh- tell me why it is that it, I get the impression from what you're telling me off air that you're not coming back on the Eskimos cheer team. No, this we're not. this season. What's going on? Why not?
0: We're just saying that we're passing the torch on to um, some younger athletes who need to get out there and try it. Okay, it's- so so
1: you're you're both in your early twenties. Yes. Yes. And that's a time where you got to step away from cheerleading.
4: I wouldn't say that. Um, that's a Black and white thing. No. Um, for me, I've been a flyer for the Eskimo since 2012. So I started when I was I was pretty young, and now I'm five years older than the youngest flyer that is <laughs> was on the team with me last year. So or six years older than the youngest flyer. Yeah. So it's just uh, time so, to get them the experience that I had. Yeah.
1: So is that just? Um, I, does it come down to athleticism, flexibility, endurance, or life changes? I, I like, think, what? Why do you have to?
0: I think yeah. mostly life changes. Yeah, I would say yeah. life changes. I like to believe I can still yeah. hold my own with the young ones. Well, I, yeah. I agree. i Agree. <laughs> yeah, I just find that my career is kind of at a point where I need to spend more time with that and explore those possibilities a little bit more. So.
1: All right. Well, and you yeah. mentioned your volunteers on the Escalade yes. cheer team. So yeah, are you time getting... to
0: have some new experiences. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. So mm-hmm. so, if, so what if somebody like me, for example, because they have men, <laughs> yes. wants to try okay. out?
4: Yeah. Well, I mean, I would recommend having a little bit more training than you do. Oh, but, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Um, but tryouts are coming up right away for the stunt team. The first tryout is March 6th at Perfect Storm Athletics, and then there's a second tryout for the stunt team, March 13th. Um, for the dancers' tryouts, I know they're the following weekend. I'm not entirely sure what day, but I'm sure the information would be on the Eskimos Cheer Team Facebook page or Twitter account.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Are you so Are you two going to help pick the new team, or is that all Diane?
4: I will be there for the stunter tryout, um, whispering in Diane's ear, but ultimately <laughs> she's still the stunt coach, yep. so it will come down to her decision.
1: So what are you gonna you're gonna miss it? I can tell you're gonna yes. miss it though. How oh absolutely. What are you gonna miss the most?
0: I love the performance aspects, like it's incredible. So like we said earlier, you're performing in front of thirty thousand Edmonton Eskimo fans out there and it's quite a rush to be out on the field and yeah, yeah, yeah definitely I'll definitely say, miss that.
4: Definitely say the whole game day experience, yeah. it's incredible. I mean, it's a long day. We put in a lot of hours yeah. for it. It can be exhausting, but standing in front of that many people doing what you love it doesn't really get any better than that and you're
1: you're all in for this to be in the for cheerleading to be in the olympics eh? think people will love it if they start seeing it competitively
4: i definitely think so i mean it's grown a lot over the last 10 years there's Mm -hmm. um there was at the world's championships last year i think there were 70 different countries represented uh over 10,000 athletes that were there Mm -hmm. so it's it's really becoming a huge thing internationally and i think that it would be great for it to be recognized
1: in the olympics as well all right. Well, I really appreciate that you came in. This was very uh, informative <laughs> to me, so I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thank you for having yeah, us. Great, spin, having us. great
1: stuff. Representing the Eskimos cheer team for the last uh, five and four and two ninth seasons. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's Sam and Ellen checking in inside sports on six thirty, Chad. We are winding her down. So the Oilers play tomorrow. We got a five thirty faceoff show. We got a seven o'clock puck drop here on Chad. And don't forget Stoffer has Oilers now from noon to two. Besides Sam and Ellen, I want to thank Derek Lackstall head coach of the Texas stars tyler robertson from the edmonton oil kings dave campbell previewed cfl free agency and thanks to everybody who called and texted as well always a pleasure to talk to you warren mulvey has been your intrepid studio producer this evening dave campbell is the producer of the show my name is reed wilkins thanks for listening charles adler tonight is next have a good one